Welcome to church. I see a few new faces here. Really good to have you join us. Um, I want to get you to show hands if you use Google Maps. Who uses Google Maps? Yeah. Okay. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now keep your hands up if Google Map has ever failed you. Wow, that is like almost 100%, probably 90% if you had Google Map fails. I've had plenty of those. You know the times when Google Map you know, takes you on this back route and you end up having to turn right onto a major road with no lights? Well, that's not that bad. Let me read to you what happened in Colorado. Uh, this is, uh, made the news in Colorado. 100 drivers were misled by Google Maps when a car crashed on the road leading to the airport caused Google Maps to provide, of course, a detour. In a rush to get to the airport in time for their flights, many turned onto a narrow dirt road suggested by the app. The drivers found themselves in an empty field with no other route options. One driver thought, well, there are other bunch of cars going down the dirt road too, so it must be okay. But it was not okay, of course, because cars didn't just drive down the narrow dirt road, they began sliding down the narrow dirt road, which had turned into a muddy mess. Cars got stuck, causing another traffic jams, cars crashed into each other. The lady who took this photo ended up with her vehicle semi-damaged and had to take two extra passengers with her to the airport because their cars couldn't get out of the mud. That is a Google fail. I want you to turn to the beginning of Deuteronomy. Keep Deuteronomy open, whether it's on your apps or Bibles. uh, Deuteronomy 1, look how it starts. Verse 1, we didn't read this earlier. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. Skip to verse 2. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road in the... 40th year. Say that with me. 40th? In the 40th year. On the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. And that's the book of Deuteronomy. Now, I've been lost before. I've been on Google Map detours before, but I've never been that lost. Did you hear it? How long did that journey was it supposed to take? 11 days. How long did it take? 40 years. I calculated that. It's 1,327 times too long. (laughs) So what happened? What happened? How do you get that lost? Well, we're going to find out. Now, that's not the only reason why to study Deuteronomy. It's not just interesting to find out how they got so lost. Deuteronomy has been called, I'm not exaggerating, one of the commentators called it, the heartbeat of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the first 39 books of our Bible, It calls it the heartbeat of the Old Testament in that it pumps blood around the rest of the Old Testament. That's how important this commentator thinks he is. Another Another commentator called it the Romans of the Old Testament. Right? Those of us who know the book of Romans in the New Testament is like one of the pillars. Well, this is the Romans of the Old Testament. We need to study Deuteronomy because, well, quite frankly, you cannot understand the New Testament, which is all the stuff about Jesus and life with him and You can't understand the New Testament without Deuteronomy. But we also study Deuteronomy because God's people today, that is you, if you are a follower of Jesus, well, you and I find ourselves in a very similar situation 
to its first hearers, God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament. Think about it. For them, the great salvation event was behind them. God had already rescued them from slavery in Egypt, but they were still waiting to go to the promised land. That was still ahead of them. Well, what is the life of followers of Jesus today? The great salvation event for us is behind us. Jesus has died, risen again, paid for our sins, made us right with God. But our promised land, called the new creation, is still ahead of us and we're not there yet and so like God's Old Testament people Israel every single day followers of Jesus today also have decisions to make don't we it's the question of will we decide to trust God and obey him on our journey between past salvation and future promised land will we decide to trust God or will we give in to fear and do things our own way well that's what Deuteronomy is about so let's pray and let's get into it Father, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take these words that you inspired Moses to speak thousands of years ago, written down for us, that they may be as fresh today as they were when he first spoke them. Holy Spirit, would you come and change us so that in this journey where we've got to make decisions about whether we will trust and follow Jesus, that we might be, as Jeff said, encouraged, given courage to go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three points for you. Let's go. First point, at the crossroads. Again, uh, let me give you a quick uh, recap because the first five books of the Bible belong together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth of a five-book series. In Genesis, you might know that God created the world and he created a special place in Eden where he put a garden. And in that place, God's people, Adam and Eve, were in God's special place, Eden, under God's rule and blessing. And life was good. But of course, Adam and Eve, our first ancestors, decided that they wanted to rebel against God, not live under God's rule. And so everything was lost. They got kicked out of God's place. They were no longer God's people and they were no longer living under His rule and blessing. But then comes along uh, one man, well, God brings along one man and his name is Abraham. And he makes promises to Abraham essentially to start again, that through Abraham's descendants, his children and his children's children's children would be a new people. And they would be given a new place, a sort of Eden 2.0, otherwise known as the land of Canaan, the promised land. And they would once again live as God's people under, uh, in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So that's the end of Genesis. Now in Exodus, Abraham's descendants, as God promised, are numerous. There's probably a million plus of them. But you see, they're in slavery in Egypt to a bad, bad Pharaoh. And so God reveals himself to them. And through the leader Moses, you probably know this story, he leads them out, crosses the Red Sea, the plagues, all that kind of stuff, leads them out of slavery. And then at a place called Mount Sinai, he gives them Ten Commandments, and by the way, Sinai here is called Horeb, same place. But there he makes them his people officially. He enters into a formal relationship with them. You know what the formal relationship is called? You know what the word is? Anyone? Covenant, that's right, keeping you awake. I like this congregation, it's much more interactive. So we're going to do that. You can say amen if you want. Um, 
He enters into a covenant relationship with them. And the rest of the book of Exodus and the whole of the next book, Leviticus, really is spelling out, well, what does it look like for a people who are sinful and broken to relate to a holy and pure God? He wants to relate to them. They want to relate to Him, but it's not as simple as that. So there's all these rules and regulations, especially about sacrifice and priests and so on, that enables that relationship, that covenant to keep going. So that's Exodus and Leviticus. Now, the book of Numbers is they leave Mount Sinai, Horeb, and begin their journey to Canaan. And Deuteronomy chapter 1, the bit that we just read and the bits before, is a flashback to the book of Numbers. And particularly a flashback to why in the book of Numbers they didn't make it the first time. So let me show you a bit of a map to give you an idea of where Deuteronomy takes place. Okay, you see the map there? Um, there you go, a little laser pointer. If you're not going to point it at your eyes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so Egypt, they exit Egypt. And here is Mount Horeb or Sinai. All right. And this is the journey that takes 11 days from Mount Horeb to this blue circle here, Kadesh Barnea, on the southern end of the promised land. This is the promised land. Okay, and further up as well, on, not on the map. Right, so uh, they make the journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. And that's really... Uh, yeah, that's really the beginning of the book of Numbers. But then what happens is at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, we're no longer in Kadesh Barnea. We're actually here on the east side of the Jordan, otherwise known as the plains of Moab. And how long has passed? 40 years have passed. Not just 40 years have passed, but an entire generation has died out. Okay, so what happened between here and here. Why did it take 40 years? Why did an 11-day journey end up taking such a detour for about at least another 38 years until a whole generation died out? And why are they now also again on the edge of the promised land, on a different side of the edge, waiting to go in the promised land? But why are they at the same place again? Why didn't they at Kadesh Barnea and the southern end, southern end already make their journey into the land and conquer it the first time? What happened? Well, that's really what Deuteronomy is explaining to us now by way of flashback. Now, as I said, 40 years later, they're ready to go in. By the way, the, book, the word Deuteronomy, it sounds like a long, complicated word. Um, it comes um, uh, from the Greek words deutero, which means second, and nomos, which means law. Deuteronomy, second law. It's not really a second law. All right, as if there needed to be a second law in addition to the first one. But it's trying to capture the sense that here, 40 years later, Moses is taking the law that he had preached to Israel back at Mount Sinai, but now it's a new generation and they needed to hear it again for a new situation. So it's called Deuteronomy, second law. What uh, Deuteronomy is, is his final speeches. You see, Moses, we find out later, is not going to make it into the land himself. The great Moses who led them all this way and 40 years in the desert, he's not going to be able to go in himself. And so he's really giving his final, kind of final words. In fact, Deuteronomy is three sermons, if you like, three speeches or Actually, probably more like sermons. If you really want to get a feel for Deuteronomy, um, listen to it on the audio Bible. Because it's meant to be heard, not just read. So Deuteronomy is three sermons, and it comes to us 40 years later. 
We're going to skip to the end of Deuteronomy. Let me show you the, the, the kind of heart and soul of what the entire book is about. Moses giving his final three sermons the second time around, 40 years later. And this is what he wants them to know before they enter or try to enter the land a second time. Verse uh, 19 of chapter 30 on the screen. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death. So he's saying everything I've said in the last 29 chapters, my first three speeches, that's what it's been doing. It's been setting before you life and death, blessings and curses. And then he says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many days in the land he swore to give to, his, to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The main message of Deuteronomy is it's decision time. Make a choice. 40 years on, new generation, you make a choice. Choose life. I've set before you all the, the blessings and the curses. I've told you all that's happened before, all that's going to happen in the future. Now choose. Will you succeed? Will you fail? It's up to you. And again, as I said, Deuteronomy is relevant to us today because if you're a follower of Jesus, we're kind of like, like Israel. And it may be that at this point in your life, you particularly feel it. I mean, I think every day we have to choose, don't we? But then there are certain seasons in our life, times in our life, where you feel like the decision is really there. You're at a crossroads in your life. There's an important moment right now. And it may have been for a little while, but you've kind of not chosen or you've just kind of tried to put the decision aside. But you know that God is saying to you, choose. Choose. What will you decide? In fact, that theme of decision, if you're wanting to get a hold of the, uh, the hang of the, uh, get a hang of the whole book, Decision actually helps to structure Deuteronomy in a very, very simple way. Obviously, you can make it much more complex, but this is the simplest way to think about Deuteronomy. Three parts. The first 11 chapters is Israel at the place of decision. The next section, which is the central section, is the decision is going to be spelt out. What is it going to look like? Right? The pros and cons. What, what are the terms of this decision or the covenant? And then the last section is, well, what's going to be the outcome if you choose X or if you choose Y? Now, in order to make the right choice, our section, especially chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's going to start with, as I said, like a flashback. We're going to remember. Why do we need to remember? Why do Israel need to remember? Because they need to remember why they went wrong the first time. In order to make the right choice in the future, they've got to understand why they made the wrong choice all those years ago. So I'm up to point two. Let's learn from the past. Let's read some of those verses again. Verse 6. Actually, we didn't read that before because we read from verse 19, didn't we? So let's go. Chapter 1, verse 6. We're flashing back again to the events of the book of Numbers. Remember, at the beginning of Numbers, there are Mount Sinai. This is the first generation. Verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, or Sinai, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites, another word for Canaanites, the inhabitants of the promised land. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. Right? It's giving a bit of a geography so they get a sense of how, how big this land is, its borders. Verse 8, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land. The Lord swore he would give you. 
and your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Um, verse 8 is a nice little uh, thing to note. He says, I have given you this land. It's like, I guarantee it. It's like a done deal. It's yours. But you notice, he says, go in and take possession of it. All right. How many of you know that so many of the promises of God in our lives is not here, I promise it. Now you just sit back and just do nothing. How many of the most important promises of God, including the ones of how he will be with you, how he will walk with you, how he will comfort you, how he will grow you. These are promises, these are rock solid promises, but you don't just sit there and do nothing. You've got to act, walk by faith. If you don't do anything, these promises don't get activated in your life. It's, it's one of those, God has given it to you, go in and take possession. And that's for a lot of us where the decision comes. And maybe that's where you've stalled in your decision. Right? You either think it's all up to you or you think God has made the promise, I don't need to do anything. Right? Both. And then in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 18, the next section, we didn't read this either. Um, we get Moses appointing leaders for the people. There's now over a million of them, men, women, and children. So he needs help to lead them. And then the bit we did read, Jess read for us, verse 19 onwards, is those key moments of what happened at that southern edge of the land, at Kadesh Barnea, in the first generation. And that's given a lot of time. Okay, It's given a lot of verses, verses 19 to even after verse 40. We didn't read the rest. But you need to know that the, the first three chapters of Deuteronomy cover some 38 years. So, you know, think about all the verses in the first three chapters. They cover like 38 years. But these verses, which take up the central part of Deuteronomy chapters 1, 2, 2 and 3, guess what? It covers only two weeks. Which actually shows you what happens in those verses we read in those two weeks is really kind of the crux. This is where and why they failed. And what God wants them to do now is to be really honest about their failure. So let's, let's, let's have a recap of the bits we read. So they reach Kadesh. They're on the edge of the land. Verse 21, the command comes. God says, 21, See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it. See, there's that thing again. He's given it to you. Go and do something. Go up and take possession of it. As the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, at that point, you'll notice they don't obey that command straight away. They decide, well, we're going to see for ourselves. And so verses 22 to 24, we read before, they select and send 12 spies to do a little bit of a, what's called a reconnaissance mission. Right? It's, it seems to make sense. It's what military people do. Before a mission, you need to know, scope it out. So often now it's done with planes and drones. Right? You do a bit of a recon. Moses gives it his blessing. He thinks it's okay. But you've got to know that, I mean, there's no comment of whether this was the right or wrong decision. We don't know. But we do know that this is not what God told them to do. God just said, go and take the land. He didn't say, go and check it out for yourselves, then go and take the land. All right? But regardless of that, what happens next is the big problem, isn't it? Verse 25, they come back, the spies come back, and they confirm, absolutely confirm, everything God told them about the land is true. It is a good land. It's like Eden 2.0, as I said. But, and here's the big but, verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. Why? You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Well, what could be so wrong? Didn't God already promise? Verse 27, you grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. 
Well, that flipped quickly, didn't it? He hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, these are spies, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Um, the Anakites, as far as we know, were probably really, really big, tall people, right? You see what they're saying? God is sending us there to torture us. He wants to destroy us. He hates us. What kind of a view of God do they have? He, like that kind of sadistic. When I was in high school, I never liked our PE teachers much. <laughs> Mainly because I was a... How do I put this nicely? Sorry, it's about myself. I don't have to put it nicely. I was a chubby Asian kid, right? Chubby, dorky Asian kid who didn't like... Couldn't run very far. Couldn't run very fast. Just wasn't that good at athletics. And I always felt that the coach would... I mean, the, 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 um, the PE teacher was there just to get us. And he probably was. I think he enjoyed watching the fat kids suffer. And this is... Yeah, it's true, right? You know, you know what it's like because you're that guy. So sadistic. You guys are horrible. And this is what they think of God. The Lord is like that. He hates us. He's making us do this just so he can watch us suffer. Which is, of course, not the case. And Moses replies. Look at his reply. He's pleading with them. Verse 29. He knows what's at stake. I mean, they came all this way. God rescued them from Egypt. He crossed, you know, he crossed the Red Sea. He, he, he did everything for them. Verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. As he did for you in Egypt, this wasn't that long ago, before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. You got that? Look at the image of God, the actual image of God. Not the sadistic Clement Tang PE teacher guy. But the fatherly Clement Tang who cuddles up his... Nice, huh? It's not even in my notes. Um, who scoops up his kids and carries them because he loves them and guarantees that he will carry them all the way. That's the image. You've got it all wrong. Verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey. Right? Every way they went, God has gone ahead of them in fire by night, in a cloud by day. It's not like God says, you go, I'm just going to watch from a distance. No, he went with you. He went before you. He searched out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. There was not one moment in the desert up till that point where God ever abandoned them. He went with them every step of the way. And Moses says, don't you know that? How can you rebel now? But still they refused. Still they rebelled. And that's a great tragedy. It's actually there in the book of Numbers, as I said. This is really just a recount. The consequence, really quickly, verse 34, we read it before. God would punish that entire generation that doubted him. None of them, right? None of the men, uh, none of the people fighting age and up, men or women, would ever enter the land. They wouldn't see. They'd all die out. Only two men would actually make it. And Moses wasn't even going to be one of them. Caleb, he was one of the 12 spies. And Joshua, right? Because they didn't doubt God. Two, only two people didn't doubt God. But the rest, 40 years of wandering until they all perished. Their children, who they were so afraid of being gobbled up by the giants in the land, well, ironically, their children would see it. They wouldn't. 
Now, that's tragic, but it does get worse. Um, as I said before, verse 37, Moses won't go either. Now, uh, Moses here compresses the storyline. Um, Moses and what happens to him and why he can't go isn't because directly because of this incident. It's in another chapter of Numbers, chapter 20. But he sort of compresses it because if this didn't happen, that wouldn't have happened either. Okay? But Moses wouldn't get to go either. And then verses 41 to 45, we didn't read it earlier. Read it for yourself. Um, they change their minds. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, we're sorry. We want to go now. So they take the matters into their hands. They try and go. They try and conquer. But actually, they fail dismally because now they're not going with God. And God already had pronounced his sentence. And then finally, in chapter 2, verse 1, they turn back. And then 38 years of wandering in the desert. So that's the failure. Why did they fail? Because it's important to be honest, to look at the why. Uh, even self-help books that are really not to do with uh, the Bible will tell you that you can't really move into the future and have success if you aren't able to be honest about your past failures. So why did they fail? Well, it seems pretty simple, doesn't it? They failed because God said something and they disobeyed. That's right. They failed because they didn't obey God's commands. But let's go a bit deeper than that because it's not just that they didn't obey God's commands because why didn't they obey? What was happening there? What was happening in their hearts and minds? Well, they didn't obey, I hope you see, because they refused to trust. Yeah, They didn't trust God. God said, I will go with you. I will fight for you. And then, uh-uh. They didn't obey because they didn't trust. Okay, but why didn't they trust? Let's go one step deeper again. Because now we're getting to the heart of it. They didn't trust because they were afraid. Right? They didn't trust because they were afraid. They didn't obey because they didn't trust. They didn't trust because they were afraid. That sequence is really important to notice. That fear is at the root. And fear will lead us to not trust God and His promises, which then will lead to the actions of not obeying God. Now, I want you to be honest for yourself, with yourself. If you are a follower of Jesus, when you and I fail, when we choose badly, when we sin, when we disobey, when we lose our way, isn't that often the case? That sequence? Fear, distrust, disobedient. See, anytime we're tempted to disobey God, it's really the same things are happening, right? I mean, Israel, why were they afraid? They were afraid because... What they saw with their eyes in front of them was much bigger and took much more room in their hearts than the promises of God, which they couldn't see. Right? What they saw terrified them and took much more prominence in their hearts than the promises of God. Well, what happens when what we see with our eyes or in front of us in our presence speaks louder than the promises of God. And that happens all the time, doesn't it? When what we see, our circumstances, our feelings now, the opposition, the obstacles, the temptations, the good things that are put in front of us that we know displease God, you, you just see them, don't you? In that moment, you just see them. And, and you stop hearing what God is promising and the reasons why you should choose God. No, no, what you see becomes much greater and then you feel fear because if I don't grab what's in front of me, what I see, which I can, seems more certain at the time, I'm going to miss out. 
And so you're afraid and you feel insecure and that takes over and then you don't trust God and then you don't obey. Yeah, Isn't that what happens? So are you at the crossroads right now? As I said, some of you are particularly feeling that. And if you're not at the big crossroads, every day this happens. Every time you're tempted, every time you're... God is telling you, if you're at the crossroads and you particularly feel it, trust me. He's preaching that to you. Trust me. Trust me that sexual purity is worth it. Because I am more satisfying. Now, don't be afraid of singleness, of waiting. Don't be afraid of missing out on intimacy. Because I've promised you that my love is more than enough. Trust me. Trust me that I will provide for you. So you don't need to keep buying, spending, or hoarding to be satisfied. Or you don't need to let your circumstances, whether it's unemployment or some other reason why you... Don't let that cause you to be weighed down and crushed by anxiety. Don't be afraid. Because I've promised that I will provide for you. And don't be afraid not to be spending and hoarding and buying and consumeristic. You can afford to miss out on those things and be generous instead. Trust me. Trust me, God says, that your sacrifices for me are worth it. Like you don't need to go after that career or financial security at the expense of your Christian walk or your family, or your church. Don't be afraid that you will miss out because the journey of sacrifice and faith and walking with me will be worth it. Trust me. Trust me that I can heal your hurts. You know those hurts that you don't even want to face and so you you want to run, (laughs) distract yourself. Maybe indulge in some sort of addiction. Just numb the pain. Lash out in anger. Because it's easier to divert that hurt to someone else. You don't need to do that, says God. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable with me. I am your father. I love you. Let me handle your pain and walk with you. Trust me. Trust me in your conflicts. You've got relational difficulties. You've been hurt. You've hurt others. Trust me, don't be afraid to keep on loving and forgiving and seeking forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. I know it hurts. Let me carry your pain. Let me give you the love that you lack and need so that you can keep moving towards others rather than give in and being swallowed up by bitterness. Trust me. Trust me enough to give me your life and decide to become a Christian. Yes, I know that for you it's not the intellectual objections. You've got that settled a long time ago, but you're still afraid. Yes, you're afraid. You're afraid of surrendering your life. You're also afraid perhaps that you'll fail me. 
You don't want to decide to become a Christian and then ditch it later on. You just don't want to. Well, trust me. Because I promise that I will walk with you every day in this decision. You're not alone. I will give you my spirit. I will change you. Trust me. I mean, they're just some examples. I don't know what it is for you. Right? But at every situation and every day, that is the decision. Will we let what we see, what we feel, what's in front of us drown out the promises of God? Or will we trust Him and overcome fear? Now, the rest of uh, chapters 1 to 3, which I want to quickly cover, but we're not going to read it. Um, so I'm going to show you the how the chapters are going to... This is where if you had the... Uh, ESV journals, you could jot it down. But um, it's worth getting, by the way. I wish we had more than five copies. Does that mean all of them were like bought up this morning already? We had 20 to begin with. Um, anyway, uh, 40 years later, they begin to taste success. So chapter 2, verse 1, 40 years later, well, they begin to taste success. They actually conquer the first kings of Canaan, or the land. Um, and so the summary here is, well, if failure is from not trusting, then these next two chapters show us, well, success, which is what they begin to taste, comes from the opposite. And so these chapters keep reminding us that God can be trusted, that He is faithful, and the second generation can see that. Um, by the way, even in chapter 1, in the, to the first generation, God showed Himself to be faithful. Um, why did they need more leaders? Well, they needed more leaders because they were becoming too numerous for Moses to handle. We see that in chapter 1, verse 10. And they were so numerous. Why? Because the Lord has increased their numbers so that they are, the words of chapter 1, verse 10, as numerous as the stars in the heavens. Now, where has that been heard before, right? What did God say to Abraham when he promised descendants? Look to the heavens at night. Look at the stars because that's, that's how many descendants you're going to have. God is faithful. The whole reason why they needed more leaders at the beginning of chapter 1 is because he'd been faithful and he will continue to be. And then when you actually get to the conquest, chapter 2, verse 24 and following, how did they, they actually conquer these two Canaanite kings really easily. And one of them we find out in chapter 3, verse 11, was a giant because he had a giant bed. We're looking at like a nine foot tall human, okay, huge. Remember, they failed, the first generation failed at Kadesh the first time around. Why? Because they were afraid of the giant people. Well, here they met a guy who was a giant person and they conquered him just like that because they took God at his word. By 